Thank you for listening to our church podcast, where it is our joy to share helpful truths from the Bible. We pray this serves as one more tool to help develop leaders within our church and community who love and honor Jesus and reveal it by loving others. If you have any questions or comments about any of the messages, we invite you to join us on any Wednesday, 6 p.m., for a group discussion on the passages and sermons found here. One of the things about Jesus that surprises many people is the fact that those who frustrated him most were religious people. Uh, We think of Jesus as a religious person, and so we're sometimes surprised when we open the New Testament and find his most bitter rivals uh, were the religious people. The Pharisees, the Sadducees, the scribes, pretty much all of those who were considered really religious, the ones that everybody looked up to, they were the ones that Jesus criticized the most, and they were the ones who eventually killed him. Uh, Almost everything that Jesus did the religious leaders were critical of. They complained that Jesus' disciples ate food without washing their hands. They complained that they didn't think Jesus fasted often enough. And of course, they complained anytime Jesus did much of anything on the Sabbath, they would claim that it was a violation. And the text in front of us is one such occasion. It begins this way, verse 10. He was teaching in one of the synagogues on the Sabbath. Now, we've talked about synagogues before, Uh, But it's been quite a while, and so uh, here is a quick refresher. Uh, The synagogues were really the prototype for the New Testament church in many ways. Uh, Every town that had at least 10 Jewish men would have a synagogue, which was a meeting place for them to come to each Sabbath. Uh, And if a town was larger, it would have many synagogues. For example, Jerusalem, we know, had hundreds uh, of synagogues. And so much like today, many of you probably drove by churches on your way to this church. Uh, It would be similar in that day with synagogues. It would have been synagogues dotting the land, uh, these little buildings where Jews would gather. And the primary uh, purpose there was it was a place of instruction. Uh, There would be singing followed by scripture reading. Uh, They would work systematically. They had a calendar system. They would work systematically through the entire Old Testament each year, uh, reading a portion from the law and the prophets every Sabbath. And after the text was read for that Sabbath, the men of the synagogue would sit and discuss the text, much like we do here on Wednesday nights during our discussion time. Uh, However, if there was a rabbi that was around, somebody who had been trained in the law and had been uh, basically was qualified in their eyes to teach, they would be invited to teach instead of having that discussion time. uh, Whoever that visiting rabbi would be would be invited to teach from the text. And you can see how this was just the perfect opportunity for Jesus. Uh, Here you have a a ready audience that came to hear the word of God. And so Jesus took full advantage of these synagogues. He would go from town to town and uh, go throughout their synagogues. Each Sabbath day, he would be in another synagogue uh, teaching from the word of God. And Matthew describes Jesus' ministry this way. It says, he went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. So here we find out not only was it Jesus' custom Uh, to go around from town to town and teach in the synagogues. But here we get an idea of what it is that he taught. Matthew says he proclaimed or preached the gospel, the good news of the kingdom. That was the theme of Jesus' preaching ministry. And we'll talk more about that next week because uh, if you just glance down to verse 18 and following, you'll see that's exactly what he talks about, uh, is the kingdom of God. And so next week, we're going to discuss much of what he says on this particular day. But for this morning, we're concerned with an incident that took place starting in verse 11. It says, Behold, this is at the synagogue on the Sabbath day, there was a woman who had had a disabling spirit for 18 years. She was bent over and could not fully straighten herself. Now, 
That's all we're told of her condition. Uh, Many Bible scholars have speculated about what this might have been. I'm not a doctor. I can't really speak to those things. There's a lot of different conditions that would cause someone to be hunched over. In some cases, it would be so extreme that their face would almost be at their their feet. Uh, They would be bent completely over and unable to straighten up. Whatever the physical problem was here, we know that there was also a spiritual element. Luke says here in verse 11, she had a disabling spirit that was causing her to be bent over and unable to stand up. Uh, Later, Jesus says that she had been bound by Satan for these 18 years. And so clearly there's more than just a physical problem here. Uh, There was a spiritual dimension. Verse 12, when Jesus saw her, he called her over and said to her, woman, you are freed from your disability. Notice Jesus was the one who initiated this healing. Uh, She didn't come to Christ asking for it. He called her over. And uh, he saw her, he called her over, he touched her and said, you are freed from your disability. Verse 13, uh, he laid his hands on her and immediately she was made straight and she glorified God. Now that, that should be the end of the story. Uh, this woman is healed. Uh, everyone's happy. At least one would think everyone would be happy. But in this case, no such luck. Uh, the religious people were not very happy. Verse 14, the ruler of the synagogue, indignant because Jesus had healed on the Sabbath, said to the people, there are six days in which work ought to be done. Come on those days and be healed and not on the Sabbath day. Now, this is just hard to even comprehend, uh, the attitude of this man. And it's always the really religious guys that had a problem with everything Jesus did. He healed this woman who for 18 years had been bent over. And the ruler of the synagogue is mad. He's indignant because he did it on the Sabbath. He wasn't rejoicing in her healing at all. I mean, just try to imagine the scene here. She's, she's healed. She's glorifying God. Everybody who was there uh, would have been rejoicing and thrilled that this woman they'd known for all these years now was suddenly healed. Uh, and this religious leader says, well, what's the matter with you? Bend back over. Uh, stop this. You can't do this on the Sabbath. Uh, just a ridiculous attitude uh, from this man. Now, let's consider his objection, though. We don't want to just dismiss it. He's angry. Because, he says, Jesus should not have done this on the Sabbath. You should not heal on the Sabbath day. Now, those of you who are familiar with the Bible will know that the Sabbath uh, was a day of rest given to the Jews. In the Old Testament, God had told Israel to set aside the seventh day. And we see this really starting in Genesis 1, right? The creation narrative. On the seventh day, God rests. Was God tired? Of course not. Uh, He created the whole world in six days. I don't think he's tired on the seventh. Uh, But that seventh day, he sanctified. He set it apart as an example for us that every, every week we would have that seventh day set, up, set aside to God. That was the, um, the instruction given to the Jews. So they were supposed to take every Sabbath, and the, and the word Sabbath, Shabbat in Hebrew, means rest. Uh, the idea was you take that day off, you don't work, and you give that day to God. You set it aside as a holy day. So it's not just a day to relax and go on the boat and have a good time. Uh, no, it's supposed to be a day where you come to synagogue, where you hear the word of God taught. Uh, where you worship God. And so it's not just a day that's resting from work. It is that, but it's also a day that is dedicated to God. Because so often in the busyness of life, right, we have all of these priorities, and so God kind of gets kicked to the side. And so as a way to kind of uh, fight against that natural inclination, where we get so busy with work and school and whatever else we're involved with, uh, God said to Israel, take one day a week and set that day aside. Don't work, don't do your normal activities. Instead, Focus on me, focus on worshiping God and spending that day, uh, that day uh, really as a separate day, a holy day uh, set apart for God. Now, this was 
a command. It was not just a suggestion, it was a command. And so breaking the Sabbath was a serious problem. But Jesus wasn't breaking the Sabbath. Uh, The Bible says that on the Sabbath day, you can't go out, you can't plow your field. Okay, you can't do your normal work, whatever your occupation may be. But nowhere does the Bible say you can't heal someone on the Sabbath. Obviously, it doesn't say that because normal people can't heal. (laughs) So prior to Jesus, this wouldn't have even been an issue. Uh, Nowhere in Scripture does it say, oh, you can't heal people on the Sabbath day. It would be like saying you can't fly on the Sabbath day. I mean, it's kind of a ridiculous. Of course, nowhere does it say that. And so Jesus was not breaking the law at all. But the Jews had come up with all sorts of extra rules about the Sabbath. We've talked about these before. Uh, The Bible says don't work on the Sabbath. That was pretty much it. And the Jews said, well, that's not specific enough. And so they decided, well, uh, we need to figure out for ourselves what is considered work and what is not. And so they came up with all sorts of intricate, there's a whole book called the Talmud, it's absolutely huge, about all of these different rules that were developed over time, uh, saying you can do this on the Sabbath, but you can't do this on the Sabbath. Uh, If you carry something, you can't do it on the palm of your hand, but if you tie a string and tie it to your elbow, that's okay. I'm not making that, that's a a real rule in the Talmud. Uh, There were rules about certain knots that you could tie on the Sabbath, other ones you couldn't. Uh, Just silly stuff like that. Because they came up with all of these man-made, not from God, man-made applications of what they thought was considered work on the Sabbath. And so the Bible just says, don't work on the Sabbath. Set this this day aside. But the Jews added to that. They said, you know, you can only take so many steps on the Sabbath and and all of these different things. And so this religious uh, person is accusing Jesus of breaking the Sabbath when Jesus had not done that. Verse 15, the Lord answered him, You hypocrites, does not each of you on the Sabbath untie his ox or his donkey from the manger and lead it away to water it? So he points out here the inconsistency of their rules, right? So they had all of these man-made rules that they had added to the command of just rest on the Sabbath. They had made certain exceptions. There were certain things that were allowed on the Sabbath day, and basically it comes down to whatever was in their interest, Uh, For example, the instance that he brings up, if you have an ox and you have him tied to the manger, the manger would be the feeding trough, so he's got food for the day, but he needs water. And so it would be in your interest as a farmer to keep your animals healthy so they can plow the field and do the work that you want them to do. And so they made an exception, okay, on the Sabbath day, it's okay to untie your, your animal and lead them to water. Basically, they made an exception wherever it was in their best interest to. Uh, Whatever they wanted to do on the Sabbath, that was allowed. Really convenient. Uh, They made exceptions where it served their interest, but this woman was not a concern for this man. Uh, He didn't care about her. And so Jesus points out the fact that you care more about your animal being comfortable than you do about this woman. Verse 16, Ought not this woman, a daughter of Abraham, whom Satan bound for 18 years, be loosed from this bond on the Sabbath day? If you can loose your ox to go get some water on the Sabbath, can't I loose this woman from her affliction on the Sabbath? He points out the obvious fact that this man cared more about his stupid donkey than a person who had been suffering for 18 years. It kind of reminds me of people today who think it's a, a terrible thing that we eat animals, right? All about animal cruelty, but they're totally fine with killing babies in the womb. Uh, it's just a side note, but the same sort of logic there, right? Uh, really concerned about cruelty to animals, cruelty to humans, that's okay when it's in our convenience uh, to do so. Uh, the more I think about that, that's a really good parallel, actually, for what's going on here. Verse 17, as he said these things, 
as he points out the inconsistency, points out the fact that they don't care about this woman, they care about their animals and what's in their best interest, all his adversaries were put to shame. And all the people rejoiced at all the glorious things that were done by him. His enemies had no response to this. They were ashamed. Now, what are we to take from this in terms of application? Uh, The text is pretty straightforward, what's being said. What do we learn from this? I think there's uh, several overall themes here and a few questions that I'd like for us to consider about the way that we think about Christianity. Because if we're not careful, uh, it's very easy for us to become just like the Pharisees, just like the Sadducees, just like the religious people of Jesus' day. Uh, One of the things that's amazed me as we've studied the book of Luke is how often Jesus criticizes the Pharisees. It's like every, every chapter almost, there's a debate between Jesus and the religious people. Now, why does God put that in the Bible, right? Why does this happen over and over again? Unless it's to warn us that, hey, this is a common problem in religion, that you can become like this. And so uh, see these problems, see this hypocrisy, and avoid that. And so let's, let's think about a few questions, uh, things that we ought to be asking ourselves. And in particular, things to ask yourself when you come across someone with a different point of view, right? So Jesus heals on the Sabbath. This guy is thinking, I wouldn't have done that. I don't think that's, that's observing the Sabbath. So what do we do uh, when we have an opinion about something? And again, we're not talking about biblical commands. We're talking about something that we just think is right or wrong. And somebody else has a different opinion, right? Somebody else that's in a different, maybe different denomination of Christianity, whatever the case may be, they've got a different view. How do we approach this? Number one, the first question to ask, is my view biblical or cultural? Uh, nowhere in the Bible does it say not to heal on the Sabbath. Again, uh, that's not in the Bible. This guy's objection was not based on a specific command in Scripture. Rather, it was just something that, to him, seemed like it would be a violation of the Sabbath. And we do this all the time. We see other churches or other Christians doing something that isn't actually addressed in the Bible, uh, but it just seems wrong to us. And many times our response, uh, our, our reasons for criticizing fellow Christians are just as ridiculous as the ones the Jews had. Things that that Christians bicker about sometimes just embarrass me. Uh, You know, a pastor preaches in a polo or something instead of a a suit and tie. Uh, I'm sorry, that's a cultural thing. That's not a biblical thing. Uh, Nowhere in the Bible does it tell a preacher what they're to wear. And that's coming from somebody who wears a suit and a tie. Okay, but when I see somebody else preaching in a polo and jeans, I don't care. Uh, There's nothing in the Bible that says that that's wrong. That's simply an American cultural, I hate to break it to you, Jesus didn't wear a tie right? They didn't have ties, okay? This is just a cultural thing. Nothing wrong with it, but it it becomes wrong when we can't see that this is just a tradition. This isn't a biblical command. And so uh, we need to ask ourselves, is this, is my view, is my opinion on this based on a specific biblical principle or instruction, or is it just something that I feel because of the way that I was brought up, because of the culture that I was raised in, because of the church background I have? Often we say things like, well, I just don't think Jesus would do that. Uh, How do you know? Uh, That's kind of a dangerous question to say. I don't don't think Jesus would do that. There's a lot of things Jesus did that the religious people of his day didn't think he would do. Like like eating without washing his hands and healing on the Sabbath, for instance. Uh, So let's just be careful about it. I think it's okay to ask at times, uh, what would Jesus do? I don't think it's a terrible way to think. But it's very possible that the reason you don't think Jesus would do whatever that thing is, fill in the blank, has more to do with the church background you come from than what the Bible actually teaches. And so if it's not in the Bible, if it's not actually addressed in Scripture, let's allow for some freedom for Christians to have different opinions. Number two, second question, do I view 
love as the greatest commandment. Jesus said the greatest command is to love God with all you are and love others as you do yourself. Those are the two most important commands, Jesus said. But many of us don't believe that. Uh, It's not to say that we don't think we should love others, uh, but the way that we think about these other things in Scripture, sometimes we elevate them so high that love is completely out of the question. Okay, the, the, and this guy in the synagogue is a perfect example. Uh, he had a very high view of the Sabbath. He thought, man, it's really important to, to keep the Sabbath, to observe that carefully. But you can see just in the way that he responds, his indignation, his anger, he had no love for this woman. And we get out of balance when we make Christianity all about rules and all about do's and don'ts, and we have no heart attitude of love motivating all of that. And that's not to say that love for others somehow makes those other commands irrelevant. That's not the point. But love is the greatest command. And we need to constantly remind ourselves that our heart attitude of love is the most important thing we need to be concerned about. Because if we're not careful, we will make Christianity all about external rules and regulations with no regard for our heart. This man was rebuked. Uh, rebuked Jesus for healing this lady, clearly he placed more emphasis on his tradition of the Sabbath than on caring about this woman and her affliction. Number three, another question to ask ourselves, am I so concerned with the way in which someone is doing something that I can't appreciate the good thing that's being done? Jesus healed this woman who had been suffering for 18 years And this guy's first thought was to critique the day on which Jesus healed her. The text says he became indignant. He was angry about it. Uh, If you think Jesus should have waited until tomorrow to heal her, can't you at least rejoice in the fact that she's been healed? Uh, Can't you at least for now rejoice in this miracle and ask her question about the Sabbath later, uh, whether it's a violation or not? Can't there be at least a little bit of joy in the fact that God has healed this woman in her affliction? But we can become so concerned with our differences of opinions with other Christians, other believers, that we become angry, even at the good things that they're doing, just because they do it in a way that we wouldn't. If another church has a different style of music or a different method or something, a different way of doing things, but they're preaching the gospel of Jesus, they're discipling people, they're preaching the word of God, let's appreciate the good instead of always trying to criticize whatever points of disagreement we may have. Now, we need to be careful here. None of what I said is in any way meant to minimize obedience to Scripture. Because again, we're we're talking about uh, personal opinions here. We're not talking about clear commands in the Bible. Nowhere in the Bible does it say it's wrong to heal on the Sabbath. That's why this is uh, a, a, a free thing for Jesus to do. If there was a command in the Bible that said, thou shalt not heal on the Sabbath, which would be weird because nobody healed, but let's just say that we're in the Bible, it would have been wrong for Jesus to do this. Okay, So it's not to say we can disregard Scripture because love wins or whatever. Uh, no, we do need to take seriously the commands of the Bible. But Jesus was not violating a command. This was a cultural thing. This was an opinion. This was a man-made rule. It was not a biblical command. If it were the case that all God, I'm sorry, don't take away from this. Don't get the idea from this text. Basically that Jesus doesn't care about rules. Jesus doesn't care about commands. All that matters is love. Because if that were the case, if that's all God was concerned about, the Bible would be a lot shorter. Okay, there are all sorts of moral commands 
in Scripture about how followers of Jesus are supposed to live, and we need to take these seriously. But when it comes to matters of opinion and preference, things that the Bible doesn't give us uh, clear instruction on, there is room to disagree and to do so charitably. Now, uh, last thing I want to point out here, the ruler of the synagogue was silenced by Jesus' rebuke. We see in verse 17 there, it says his adversaries were put to shame. They were confronted with their hypocrisy, uh, their unbiblical teaching about the Sabbath, and so they were ashamed. They were embarrassed. They realized, oh, wow, I I just said something really stupid. Uh, Have you ever been there before? Have you ever been in an argument with someone, uh, really making your case, and then all of a sudden you realize... I think I'm wrong about this, uh, right? This happens in, in our relationships all the time, especially with husband and wife, right? We argue about something, and then halfway through, you realize, I think I'm on the wrong side of this argument. Now, you've got a choice to make there, right? You can either in humility say, okay, I think I'm wrong, or you can double down on your error, right? And most of the time, we, we go with the latter because our pride gets in the way. So the conclusion of my sermon today is going to be about that moment, Uh, When you're confronted with your error, and specifically when your beliefs are challenged, uh, what do we do? There's a lot of different denominations in Christianity. Depending on whatever church background you have, you likely have a lot of tradition tied in with Bible. Okay, there's probably some biblical truth in whatever church background you come from. Okay, almost every denomination of Christianity gets something right, right? I mean, we can agree on, on certain things. However, no matter what background you have, there's going to be some things that are just tradition that were also taught along with biblical truth. That's true of Catholics. That's true of Pentecostals. That's true of Baptists. That's true of everybody, right? We all have traditions, and a lot of times we're very blind to those. And so we view them on the same level of Scripture. So uh, all churches are susceptible to this, this problem, teaching error at certain points. I don't think any particular denomination has everything perfectly right. So what do we do when somebody challenges us? What do we do when somebody says... I think you're wrong about that. I think your understanding of that thing in the scriptures is is off. Number one, we need to have enough humility to consider if they might be right. Someone comes along and contradicts a long-held belief of yours, pride immediately springs up and wants to insist that you're right and and they're just crazy. Uh, I don't think I have everything right. I know there are errors in my theology. Uh, I just don't know where they are. If you can point them out, I'd, I would correct them. Uh, but I don't have, I'm un, under no illusions that if everybody in church history, I somehow have everything about the Bible figured out perfectly, and, and my opinions are the final word on everything. Of course not. And so the first thing to do when somebody challenges my belief about anything, whether it's a, a big thing or a small thing, is to have the humility to consider seriously the possibility that my belief might be wrong. Next, Uh, Next step in that process is study the Bible. Don't let emotion uh, make a decision about what you believe. Let Scripture have the final word. There's a fascinating account in Acts uh, 17. Paul and Silas, they're going around preaching in various towns, and they come to Berea. And they're in the synagogue in Berea. Verse 10, it says, The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. When they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. And whenever Paul went into a synagogue to preach, his message was always the same, that Jesus was the Jews' Messiah, right? He was coming to Jews and trying to persuade them and convince them that Jesus is the Christ. He's the Messiah that they've been waiting for. And often his message was met with rejection. Uh, He would be kicked out of synagogues. In some cases, they would try to kill him uh, because they hated this, this message and they just, they were so angry about it. 
Uh, and so no doubt in this instance, Paul comes, preaches to them that Jesus is the Messiah in their synagogue. But these Bereans were different than most. Verse 11 says, these Jews, the ones in Berea, were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. So they were willing to consider if this was true. And then they examined the Bible to see if it supported what they were being told. So, so Paul comes preaching this message about Jesus that they had previously not believed. Okay, they, they were not believers in Christ. Paul comes and tries to persuade them that Jesus is the fulfillment of these prophecies. And these Bereans, instead of getting angry like most Jews and kicking them out of the, uh, the synagogue, they take a step back. They receive the word with eagerness, with readiness. They're, they're willing to consider if this might be true. But they don't stop there. They go to the scriptures and they search the Bible and say, is what Paul is saying to me right now that I've not heard before or I've not agreed with, does this line up with scripture? Because scripture ultimately was their authority. And when they did this, they found that the arguments Paul was making were backed up by scripture. Verse 12 says, many of them therefore believed because of the fact that they received the word and searched the scriptures to see if this was true. Many of them believed in Christ. And so they heard the message of Jesus. They searched the scriptures to see if it lined up with what the Bible taught. And then as a result, they believed. And that leads to the third point. <clears throat> when you hear something that contradicts what you believe, uh, first, consider if you might actually be wrong. Second, study the Bible carefully to see if what you're being told is indeed scriptural. And finally, be willing to change what you believe. This should be obvious, but for some reason, it's a, it seems to be a badge of honor in many Christian circles to never change anything that you believe. Uh, like, like we're really something if we hold fast to all of our beliefs forever. But what if your beliefs on that particular point are wrong? Is that still a good thing that you held fast to something that was an error when it was pointed out to you? If someone can prove to you from the Bible that you are in error, you need to have the humility to say, okay, I, I guess what I've thought for all these years is not correct. True growth happens when you're not reading the Bible to confirm your beliefs, but you're instead reading the Bible to correct your beliefs. If you grew up in Christianity, again, regardless of what denomination you grew up in, and odds are uh, not everything you were taught was wrong, but not everything you were taught was right either. And it requires humility and an absolute devotion to Scripture to discern the, to, uh, dis discern the difference between the two. <clears throat> Let me encourage you, as you read the Bible at home, as you come to church and you hear the word of God taught, pray and ask God to help you to understand what the Bible is teaching. And then decide before you read and, and as you're reading, decide in your heart, whatever it says, I'm going to believe it. Pay careful attention to what you're reading in scripture. Don't just gloss over those parts that seem to contradict what you believe. This is one problem I see so often, uh, including in Baptist circles, right? We have this belief and then we come across verses that seem to contradict it, and we just kind of gloss over those and get to the other stuff that we understand. Uh, no, we need to dive into those deeply. We need to really consider, if the Bible seems to be contradicting what I've been taught all my life, then I need to take seriously what the Bible's saying here and ask, is it possible that I'm wrong about this? And so study the Bible carefully. If you can read the Bible for years and years and never have any of your beliefs change, you're probably not reading very carefully. Either that or your church tradition happened to get absolutely everything correct. Uh, which one is more likely? 
As I say this uh, of your own Bible reading, it's true of the church as well. You shouldn't just accept something because I say so. Uh, Pay far more attention to the scriptures that I show you than the things that I say. Okay, if I just give you an opinion and I don't back it up with scripture, you can take that or leave it. Uh, But if I show you scripture, pay very careful attention to that and consider that, uh, consider if what is being said is true from the Bible. So to wrap up today, we learn from this text to be, first of all, careful about criticizing others, especially others who are serving God, just because they're doing it in a way uh, we may not agree with, just because they're doing something that we wouldn't do. Be careful about criticizing that, especially if your objection really isn't based on the Bible, but it's based on your tradition or your preferences. And then secondly, when somebody confronts your beliefs the way Jesus did here and says, uh, what you're believing is not true according to the Bible, uh, what you're believing is hypocritical and inconsistent, have the humility to consider you might actually be wrong and let the word of God be the ultimate authority in your life. We close with this, uh, 1 Thessalonians 2.13. Paul says, we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. Let the word of God be the absolute authority over everything that you believe. Father God, we thank you for uh, your word. Thank you, God, for giving us a written book that we can read and study. We don't have to guess uh, what we should believe. We can uh, study this book that you've given to us and learn from it what, what we ought to believe about you, about theology, about our doctrine. I pray, God, that you would help, help each one of us to more closely align with Scripture more and more as we go throughout our Christian life, as we study your word privately, as we come to church and hear your word taught. I pray, God, that each one of us would come with an eagerness, with a willingness to be corrected by the word of God, not by men's opinions, not by clever arguments, not by some emotional appeal, but to allow Scripture, not what we think, not what our parents thought, not what our church thinks, but to allow Scripture to be the ultimate authority over everything that we believe. God, help us in these ways to become more and more like you, to align more closely with what you wanted us to think. In the name of Christ, we pray. We hope the message you just heard was helpful to you. It means a lot to us that you would join us for this podcast. For more information about our church and meeting times, visit lbcmiller.com or call us at 219-885-9303. We would love to hear from you.